0: Well, it's real good to be here with you guys. And uh, I actually have my family, we're, we're all staying in Smith's Grove and uh, we have my whole family down here. We drove up from Dallas. I was at a wedding in Dallas. And so, uh, so we've had a blast. We've actually been going to Mammoth Caves the last couple of days. And, uh, and one of the things about the caves is, I guess it's like 420 miles of, of, of like assessed or whatever, uh, you know, like mapped caves and they say, who knows how many there really are. They haven't got to the end of it. They don't know if they ever will. And what they do is, you know, you go on one of those tours, and you go down a trail, and there's a cave that goes off to the left, and, you know, the guide will just take their flashlight, and they'll shine on it a little bit, and you'll see down it, and they'll tell you a little bit about what's down it, and then you just keep going, you know, on, on, on this trail because there's just no way to, to, to see all of it. And so you just kind of – and, and the, the reason they shine the light down it is they're like – If you want to go on another tour, there's a tour of of this section, uh, but I'll just tell you a little bit about it, just give you a a taste of it, and then if you want to discover it more, you can do it later, you know, and that's kind of what I feel like uh, is the best thing that I can do this morning, that we can do this morning, is basically just take a bunch of different scenarios and just shine a light down it just a little bit and talk about how the gospel that there's, there's hooks and there's things in the gospel that could really be applied to that. And if you want, we can go down further, and we're going to have an hour Q&A at the end. We can go down it further in the Q&A, or you can just go down it further on your own. And so I don't want you to get the idea that it's like these are superficial, because they're not—in order—you could do one thing deeply, or you could do ten things flashlight. And so it's not superficial— the cave goes a long, long way, and the gospel is deep enough, and the issue is deeper than I'll explain, and the gospel healing is deeper than we'll get to. Uh, but but you'll, you'll have a light to know that it's there, and that if you want to go further down it, uh, you can. Um, and so we're just going to do that, and we're, I'm just going to pick different scenarios. So, so for me, a lot of these are things that that I personally work through myself in ways that I've had to learn how to apply the gospel. And then there are also things that, that I've done in counseling or that I've just seen and heard other people do uh, to those that are, that are suffering. And so for me, one of the things I struggle with is I call it just getting hooked. Uh, so it's basically just when somebody says something to you or a lot of times about you that, you know, you hear about or you go through a situation that you think is unfair or, you you have been mistreated by someone and you just kind of you get hooked on it you just you replay the conversations in your head um you kind of like argue with them in your head you you kind of you 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 go through what you wish you would have said you go through all the reasons why what they said was just not true and and inappropriate and uh and you know I the thing is like I, this happens to me all the time, and, and uh, like it'll just be a few moments of silence, and all of a sudden, I'll just get hooked, and then I won't even know it, but it'll be like one, two minutes, and I'm just like all the way down in this argument with someone, and, I, and I'm way further than I ever thought I would get, and, and, and then I'll be I'll like, oh, wow, I, just, I think I just lost a couple minutes of my time, you know? and, and the thing is, I must have a look about me. Because, like, my wife will come into the room, or I'll just be sitting on the couch, you know, and I'll have my phone out or I'll have a book, and she'll just look at me and she's like, Who are you arguing with? I'll be driving. That happens when I'm driving all the time. She'll, Who are you arguing with? I was just like, Come on. I was like, <laughs> "Like, How does she know? I definitely was arguing with somebody. So, uh, so, and I was always tell her, I was like, Babe, I was just about to win. I was like, I was just, I was just about to finish this thing, you know? And so, so but, but what do we do when we get hooked? Um, I remember. Uh, it was during a really hard season. I was stuck in Uganda. People were leaving the church and people were saying a lot of uh, untrue things about about me and just about the church. Uh, and it was really, really hard. And I was just getting hooked on it. And I was just, you know, I had a lot of free time because I was stuck in Uganda. And so uh, so I'd just be hooked. And I just came across this psalm and I just kept reading it over and over again. And it's it's a psalm where David's surrounded by enemies, they're lying about him, he's been forsaken by his family, it's just everything is just crashing in on him. And he just says in Psalm 27, verse 8, he says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says, your face, O Lord, will I seek. And here's what I realized, I just realized, like, so I'm hooked. On this situation, and I just keep reliving it, and like i have seeing the other person's face in my mind, and I'm talking to the other person, and they're disappointed in me, or they're angry at me, or they don't like me, or they're frustrated with me, and I'm just, and, and I'm having this conversation, I'm just hooked on it, and then here I have this open invitation by my, by God to seek His face, and, and the Bible actually tells us that. The glory of God is seen in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, it's, it's Jesus who is inviting me, like this open invitation to like seek his face. And, and when I do that, what I find is like in his eyes, there's compassion. He is someone who knows what I'm going through. I, I find in him someone who knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be disliked, to be... Betrayed, despised, looked down upon, mocked, denied by his friends, abandoned by people who promised that they would stick by him no matter what. And, and whatever pain I'm experiencing, whatever injustice and frustration and hurt, I, I realize like he knows it. And he doesn't just know what I'm going through. He knows me. Like, he knows my failures. He knows the way I responded inappropriately. He knows, and this is the worst of it, the hardest ones for me are the ones that I know are right, and he knows when the people are actually right about what they're saying about me. And that invitation isn't just for, like, the criticisms that are unjust and the unfair things. It's for the ways we really have disappointed people and the failures and the sins and the things that we've done that we can't figure out how to make up for. And that invitation remains. And he, he says, Seek my face. And and he he's the God who knows how lost I feel and how close I am. Psalm 73, we're gonna talk about on Sunday to slipping. And he holds us by the hand and he guides us with his counsel. And he promises, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And and it's like this open invitation to seek the face of God, it's not like Netflix or like some other thing that's like trying to distract you. It's not something less than what you're going through that is just hoping to maybe be able to steal your attention for a little while. You know, like this, this pain is really deep, but maybe like you can be distracted from it by something that's less than the pain. But, you know, that it just doesn't work for very long, right? And, but this is actually something better than. Like, it's, it's bigger than. And his love is bigger than others' disappointment. And his love is greater than our failures. His love and his, his kind words are more true. And he is more important than however important the person that's rejected us might be. I always talk about how like we always respond to the biggest stimuli in our in our lives which means if I tap you on one shoulder and someone hits you with a water balloon in the face and the other shoulder like which direction are you going to turn like you're going to turn to the water balloon right you know what I mean like the tap and that's just the reality like this invitation is a water balloon it's it's an invitation to let to seek the face of God. To listen to him. He's, like, the other people aren't the only ones talking about you. He's talking about you. Their faces aren't the only ones looking at you. He is looking at you. Like, like they're not the only ones that have thoughts about you and feel things about you. He does too. And he is bigger and his thoughts are truer and more lasting and more real. And I mean, just practically what it looks like for me is like I, like, I literally like, like time will pass and I'll just be hooked and I won't even know that I'm hooked. And then I'll just realize it. You know, I kind of wake up. I'm like, oh, wow, I've, I've been arguing with this person for a while. And like, I literally like pinch myself, like, like, like wake up. And then I literally just come back to this verse. And I just says, you have said Seek my face. My heart. My heart that is, and then I just start talking about what my heart is. My heart that's angry right now. My heart that's frustrated right now. My heart that's hurt right now. My heart that's insecure right now. My heart that wants to be justified right now. My heart that disagrees with what other people are saying about it right now. My heart says, your face, O oh Lord, will I seek it. And then I just start trying to rehearse things that the Bible says about his face, and about what he's like. You have said you'll never leave me or forsake me. You have said that, that, that you love me, even in my sin and my failure. You call me your beloved child. You're not ashamed to be my brother. Yeah, like I just like you have to force yourself. It's just, it's it's pathetic and it's horrible, but it's just true that like the other just comes naturally. You just have to give it a little of silence, and it'll like fill in the chasm. This requires like you have to force it, you have to do it. But you do it, and as you do it, the the echo gets softer and softer, and 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 the reality is this voice over here pushes you. It becomes this, it, it, like Satan wants to use this voice to suck you away from God and from his love and, and to get you looking inside. But God wants to use this voice to turn you away and to look upon him. So that's just, that's hooked, right? So that's, that's a flashlight down hooked. We've talked about it for a long time, you know what I'm saying, but that's just a flashlight down. And there's something, you don't have to live your life hooked. Uh, what other people say, or, or what, what's been done to you. Uh, you don't have to. OK, another idea that, that helps me a lot is this idea. I just call it contrast. It's this idea of contrast. And I'll tell you a story, and then we'll, we'll apply it to life. I remember we had a young man in our church who had an amazing father. And he thought his dad was the greatest. He had a pretty happy life. He was always a pretty happy guy. Um, and then one day, his world just came crashing down. His dad had an affair, left his mom, went off with this woman, and then just disowned him, like like disowned him along with his mom and the rest of the family. And he was just absolutely devastated. And uh, he couldn't understand, one, how God could allow such a terrible thing to happen to him, but then also... This idea of God as Father just became very distasteful to him, like he just it just triggered him, and he just he 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 hated the idea that God wanted to be thought of as a father. And the reality is, like our world, and if it's not you, then praise God, but but it's going to be a lot of people that you work with and that you spend time with, and our world is just full of people who. have broken relationships with their fathers and who struggle with this idea of god being father and and it's like you wonder sometimes why couldn't god have picked a different you you want to like 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 you're like forcing this thing you know and and it's like why 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 would you use the name father when it brings so many obstacles with it like there's so many things that that this that 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 have to be overcome there has to be a different word that you could have used or a different way to talk about relating to you that could have not triggered all these things and and um uh, and i remember as this as this kid shared with me it just hit me it hit me like when he thinks of god as father he is stuck on believing that when God calls himself Father, what he's trying to do is teach you things about him through comparison. And all of his life, that's how he thought about God as Father, through comparison, because he would had a good dad that had just been just the normal way that he had thought about it. God, God as Father always made sense to him, it was always easy for him, and, and, and comparison was the only way that he thought about it. But now that his father's completely failed him, he's still stuck in this. God, his father, is meant to make me think and compare him. He's meant to be compared to my father. And I, I remember just talking to him and, and, and looking into his eyes and saying, here's the thing. When God calls himself father, he intends for that to teach us about himself in two different ways. One of them is comparison. And what he's trying to say is everything good you've ever experienced with your earthly father is just a drop in the bucket of what God's like. It's just a taste. Every piece of safety, every kind thing, every, every smile, every protection, every provision, just a taste. But the reality is that for most of the deepest and most important things about God, when God wants to just chisel a truth deep into your heart, he most typically does it not through comparison, but through contrast. You see, the thing about comparison is, if God wants to teach you about him being father through comparison, how deep can comparison go Comparison can only go as deep as you've experienced on this earth. And then he can say, I'm better than that, but experientially all you know is the provision your dad has given you. And then, okay, he's better than that. So so he's he, but I don't know. But when God wants to just 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 dig something deep, deep within you. He uses contrast. And what that means is that that what God wanted this this young man to do is he wanted to take his, like, the thing is, we have this ideal of fatherhood, like, in our heads. And that's why we can be disappointed by our fathers. You can't be disappointed by someone that you don't think should be better than they are. Right? Right? You're disappointed because you know in your head what a father's supposed to be and it's the gap between what a father is supposed to be and what our fathers were that hurts. That's where your pain comes from it's the gap that causes the pain. And what God does is he comes and, and in the midst of this gap he says, "I am not like." I'm not like that. Your father was unfaithful. I am not like that. The pain that you feel with your unfaithful father because you know in your heart that your dad should have been faithful to your mom, that he should have put the family above this fleeting pleasure, that he should have stuck around, that your dad's supposed to listen to you, that your dad's supposed to care about you, that your dad is supposed to sacrifice for family, that he's supposed to keep his promises. All those things you know your dad's supposed to be, that he's failed to be, your God comes and says, I'm not like that. Your dad's unfaithful, but I am not. Your dad cares more about himself than he does about you, but I am not like that. I'm not like that. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to take that pain and that gap. And since we can't take it to our earthly father anymore because he's not there, he wants us to take it to him as our true Father, and he, he wants to listen to us. And He wants us to talk about this gap and, and, and to tell Him, like, God, like, why? Like, I, like, why? I want faithfulness. I need provision. I just want. It's crazy. I'll just tell you something. This, we're preaching through Joseph. The Joseph narrative in Genesis. Joseph is the second most powerful person in the world. Right at the end of it, you know, he raises to power. He's like, only Pharaoh is more powerful than him. He runs everything. He has everything at his fingertips. His brothers are all there bowing down before him. He has it all. And when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, do you know what he says to them? He says, go get my dad and tell him about my glory. And tell him what you've seen here. And tell him to come, because I want him to see this. You know what you realize? This guy has everything. He's the most powerful person you can imagine. But inside, he's just a little kid that wants his dad to be proud of him. And no amount of power and no amount of success could ever free him from that. Guys, that's all of us. Like we are born with this this void, this longing for a father to tell us that he's proud. There's nothing in the world that you can do to escape that void or or to make it go away. Because that void is meant to be completely and finally filled. When your God looks down on you and he says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I could not be more pleased. I'm proud of him. It doesn't matter if your dad, I mean, having a dad, it is better as 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 fathers, as like you, we want to teach our kids through comparison, right? We want to be the best dads we can, and and if you've had a dad that's told you he's proud of you, and you've experienced that, then there's something beautiful in that. And but it it even that doesn't make the void go away. The best dads leave a gap, and uh. The only problem is sometimes we don't realize the gap with the best dads. It took about a year, but this kid came back to me. I say kid, but he was a kid when I met him, but now he's like 23 and has two kids. But uh, he's married. He came back to me and he said, I'll tell you what, I never knew God as Father. I never knew God as Father growing up because my dad was always enough. I never looked beyond him. If I needed something, I talked to my dad, and he took care of it. And it is not until the last two years of my life when my dad has utterly failed me that I've come to see God as my father and how bad I needed it. My wife, her dad was her hero. She grew up loving her dad. He was everything to her. Her mom was a little bit abusive. She's not a very good mom. Her dad was her safety. Her dad was everything. I met my wife when she was 20 years old. And uh, in our first conversation, she was telling me all about her dad. And I told her I'd love to meet him someday. And she said he uh, died of cancer two weeks ago. And when I heard that, I... I knew she was just someone that needed a friend. And uh, and for the next couple of years, I just watched as God became a father to her and showed her what it means to be father. And, and she'll tell you that, that she never knew God as father and, until she lost her dad. You see, God is even not like the best of dads, because the best of dads are going to die and leave you. And when they do, the void you feel will be overwhelming. And your God comes and he stands over their death and he says, I'm not like that. I won't die. I won't leave you. I won't get old. I won't forget you. The gap that you will experience with your father someday, whether through sin or through death, or through sickness, you will never experience with your God. Contrast. I think this is really helpful to me. It's helpful not just for fathers, but it's helpful for all disappointment in life. What What is disappointment, right? Disappointment is when something that you would put hope in or put trust in, lets you down. It doesn't live up to your hopes, your expectations, what you were looking. It doesn't provide and fulfill what you thought it would, right? And, and there's two reasons that things fail us. Some things fail us because of a lack of love. This kid's father failed him because of a lack of love. Some things fail us because of lack of strength. Abby's, my wife's father, failed her because of a lack of strength. It wasn't a lack of love. He, was, he loved her to the very end. He was a great dad. But he just wasn't stronger than death, and he couldn't keep himself around to take care of his kids. Disappointment comes when something you've hoped in or trusted in has let you down, and and what I like to think is that over every disappointment, our God comes, and He comes with this message: "I am not like that." Whatever you were looking for that thing to fulfill, whatever you were looking for that thing to satisfy, whatever you hope you would put in that thing, and in ev- whatever way it lets you down, He comes and He says, "I'm not like that. I'm different." Do you see how like we can learn about our God through this? Like, like there. It's one thing to be told your God is faithful. It's another thing to have an unfaithful father just 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 carve a knife into your soul that then gets filled with the faithfulness of your God. And the way he listens to you and the way he's there for you. That's what David says, now I I got some verses because I'm not making this category up. It's a biblical category. David says things like this, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. What's he doing? He's trying to say, God teaches me about his faithfulness through contrast. Even when my mom and dad fail me, he's not like that. Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget, some, forget her, her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, I'm not like that. I will not forget you. Paul, like, shows us what it's like to apply this in 2 Timothy 4, right? When he says, at my first defense, nobody came to see me. I was all alone, all deserted me, but, contrast, but the Lord stood by my side and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. you see what he's saying? All my friends deserted me and it broke my heart, but in the midst of that I stood at that trial all by myself. And I realized I wasn't alone because the Lord stood by me. And you know what? If all my friends would have been around me, I might not have depended so heavily on the Lord. Do you see how for the deepest things our God teaches us to contrast? There's a verse I kind of skipped around, but in in Psalm 25.3, it just says in one version that I like, it says, indeed, no one who waits for you or who hopes in you will ever be disappointed. And so that's why I really believe that you can take God over all disappointments, and and in the midst of that disappointment, we can just realize and we can be taught something about God. And so when people come to you and they're disappointed and they're heartbroken You can listen, but one of the things you want to be listening for is what what has disappointed them? What has let them down? What has hurt them? And how is God not like that? And then you can encourage them and, and show them that. All right, so that's another flashlight, right? A little another cavern, a little another flashlight. So. Okay, I don't know how many flashlights we'll do. So, uh, so <laughs> I'll do one more, and then you guys will get a Q&A so we can talk about anything, uh, other ones you want. And there's a book called The Soul of Shame, and I've been just thinking about shame a lot lately. This book has really helped me. I'm just going to give you a quote about shame, and then we're just going to talk about shame. We're going to go a little further down this cavern. So He says the Shamed people shame other people. In other words, long before we are criticizing others, the source of that criticism has been planted, fertilized, and grown in our own lives, directed at ourselves, often in ways that we're mostly unaware of. Suffice it to say that our self-judgment, or that tendency to tell ourselves that we're not enough, not thin enough, not smart enough, not funny enough, not enough, is the place out of which our judgment of others grows. So think about even what this means. This means that long before anyone's ever critical of you, long before someone condemns you, judges you, looks down on you, shames you. They've been doing that to themselves, and they've been experiencing that from others. That's where criticism, judgment, that's where it comes from. This idea is... is, 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 is it's been really transformative for me. It's helped me a lot. I'm going to give you just a couple scenarios. So one scenario, So and, and, and you might not be able to relate to this completely, but, but, but hopefully. So sometimes, has this ever happened? Like sometimes somebody does something that hurts you and it's just wrong. And it's just like obviously wrong, right? Like it's just clearly wrong. They shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have said it. It's so obvious. But inside your heart, like for some reason, maybe you're just like having this overflow with like love and amazing day. Inside your heart, here's all you want. You just want them to say you're sorry. You just want them to say that they're sorry. And then you want to forgive them and just forget it ever happened and just move on. Like you want to be reconciled. You are not wanting to be bitter you're not wanting to resent you just basically it's just like you know and this is mostly like with the close people in your life right with a spouse or with a kid or with you know they they say they do something that's like like really wrong like how many parents you just want like your kid does something really wrong but all you want your kid to do is if they'll just say like I shouldn't have done it I'm sorry You'd like dude I forgive you I hug like you and you can just move on you know with your spouse like like a lot of times we want that and and so, like, you know, I, I like, this is in, in my family. And so what, what do we do? Like, we think, okay, this should be pretty easy. This is so obviously wrong. that All I got to do is just tell them, listen, dude, that was, that was, like, hurtful when you said that. And I'll just tell them. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm sorry. And I'll be like, you know what? I forgive you. I said hurtful things before. Let's just move on. And you're like, this is going to be sweet the reconciliation's going to be even better than before. It's going to be great. And and so, you know, I mean, this isn't like a controversial thing. Like, right? they were just so wrong that it's obvious that it's not like we not, we shouldn't have to debate this for long. And so, you know, you go about it, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, when you said that, like, that that really mean thing, you know, like, that, that hurt me, you know? And uh, so I was just, I was hoping maybe you just you just say you're sorry. I'd love to forgive you. But if you've ever done that, you know, like, for some reason, that's like not what happens, right? Like you, you tell them the obvious. Like you you think like, I'm just going to state the obvious. I'm pretty sure you already know, but I'll state the obvious. And then somehow they like double down. And now they're like coming at you. You know what I'm saying? You're like, dude, you like, you like just said something hurtful. And I'm like offering a white flag. I'm saying, listen, I'm gonna disarm myself, I'm gonna come in, I'm willing to forgive you, to be to, we're gonna stay friends, it's gonna be great. And they're just like, You think I said something mean? And then they're just boom. and they just like go at you, like, I'll show you mean and you're like <laughs> What? Like what's going on and you just like it's very hard to understand and like I spend most of my life just thinking like is there like a video camera like is somebody watching this like God, praise God, you see this, but seriously, does anybody else, I'd love, I'd love, like, an outside opinion on this, this is, like, some craziness, like, I feel like I'm not even in my own body anymore, I'm just, like, watching this, and I'm just, like, like, so now it's two on one, because I know that you're wrong, and this person out here definitely knows that you're wrong, but you just don't see it, and, uh, and so, like, I want, all I want to do is forgive. So, because you like, want, because your heart is so generous towards them, it's like very confusing. Like, it's like, I feel like I'm coming with you towards generosity, and you are like coming at me with like, like punches, you know? And, uh, and, and, and at some point, you're like, okay, so like, all I want to do is be reconciled. I just want them to say they're sorry, and then I'll forgive them. That's all I want. But now they want to make an argument about it. Well so now I got to like do a court case and so now I got to bring up all this evidence. So now like I didn't think I'd have to argue. Like I thought we could stipulate this, you know? Like uh, I, but but now I see like we have to do it. So so then you like and all of a sudden you're in an argument and it just like spirals, you know? And now you're saying things that you wish you weren't saying. And and it's just like I didn't want this. I just wanted sorry. I love you. This never happened. It's all I wanted. And I really didn't think just like Like, it didn't have to be here. But why? How did that happen? And I wonder, like, how does that happen? And inside, it's like something inside of us feels like I can't, like, forgive you and move on until you just say you're sorry. But that's all you have to do. It's really simple. But, like, if you're not going to say you're sorry, then I can't, like, give you all the love that I feel. I like hold back the love that I feel. It's like damned up and it's just waiting for sorry. And then boom, you know, it just opens up the, 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 opens up. And so it's just like trying. And so like inside you're like fighting to get sorry because it's soon because you just feel all this love and you're just like, it's a sorry away from flowing out. And so you're like, and so, but you're not like being hurtful in order to get a sorry in order to love them so i'm like i'm trying to like i gotta figure out a way to get you to say you're sorry so that i can give you all my love and if i have to hurt you to get you to know you're wrong get you to say you're sorry so that i can love you maybe that's the way and you know but like we don't feel like we can open up the love until we hear the sorry yeah i mean that's that's my life you know what i'm saying like and then and, and i'll tell you i'm the i'm the crazy one most of the time so i'll, I'll give you some illustrations there for a minute but uh but here's what I just realized. It's crazy. The other person, we're sitting here like wanting them to admit that they're wrong so that we can open up the love gates. They know they're wrong. But what they're dealing with is shame. And their fear is that if they admitted that they were wrong, they'd be rejected because that's the lie that shame tells you that if you admit to being wrong you're going to be rejected and inside we have all this love that we just want to like flow out onto them but we're holding it back and what we want them to do is say they're sorry but what they're afraid of is that if they say they're sorry that they're going to be rejected if they admit to being wrong that they're going to be rejected and we feel all this love but they don't know that And they feel all this fear. And so even though it's so obvious that they're wrong, they can't admit it because it's like they feel like a trapped animal and they're just fighting and they're just clawing. And what I just realized is this. Shamed people don't need to be told that they're wrong because they know they're wrong. Shamed people need to know that they're loved. We think we need an apology before we can open up the gates and just love them. They're afraid that if they tell the truth, the gates will never open. This is what the Bible talks about when it says, like, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's like shame, like, they know they're wrong, but they can't admit it because they're afraid And now when you start fighting, and you start shaming, and you start accusing, you're only building up stronger walls and confirming their fears. But if you would just open up and just love them, just love them. I'm not going to wait for you to say that you're wrong to love you. I love you. I'm here. What you did, was hurtful but even if you don't acknowledge it i'm not going anywhere and i love you if you ever want to say you're sorry you can and if you don't i still love you i'm not going anywhere like i found this with 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 my wife like when i point out something it leads to an argument and a fight but when i just say babe we're on the same team i love you well, we don't we don't need to argue about this it's going to be okay like, I don't, I can't remember in our marriage pointing out an area where she was wrong that she didn't already know. And very few times when I pointed out an area was wrong, was it helpful and did it work? But I can think of so many times where just, all right, we're not going to fight. Like, I, I love you. Let's just go through this. And you just, you're just kind. And all of a sudden, after a little while, boom, there comes an apology. There comes a, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And I realize it in my own life because here's the crazy thing: if you, let's say, I mean, we'll just be, we'll just say like this, this, this thing here, right? Like, or let's say like, like we have a small group or something, and let's say I say something in the small group that I know a hundred percent is right, like from God's word, I just know is right, and you come up afterwards and you disagree with me. The truth is, like, I'm gonna be okay. I might, like, try to help you a little bit, but as far as I'm concerned, like, you're wrong, and I'm right, and it's, it's, it's going to be all right, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, like, it's your loss if you're wrong, you know, like, and so, like, uh, and so, like I, I'm not going to, I don't need to defend myself. If you want help understanding it, I'll help you. If you just want to argue about it, then let's just agree to disagree because I know that someday when it all becomes clear, this is the right way. I don't feel defensive. I don't feel like fighting. I don't, but tell you what, here's the craziest. Tell me this isn't just crazy. If I feel insecure about something, like let's say I think I talk too much in the small group, which sometimes I do. Let's say I feel that way. If my wife comes to me afterwards and says, you know what? I think you talked too much tonight, small group. The craziest thing that happened, you would think I would be like, you know what? I was thinking that same thing, and like you've just kind of confirmed it. I appreciate it because I was like, I don't know a hundred percent if I talk too much. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but everybody else thinks I was perfect, you know. Like, so I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I personally think that I might have talked too much. And then she like confirms it. I was like, oh, babe, thank you. Like that. That. That means that, like, my my mind isn't crazy. I mean, like, I was actually right. I did talk too much. (coughs) That's not what happens. She says, I think you talk too much. I'm like, babe. I am pretty sure I did not talk too much. In fact, did you see that one person just nodding the whole time I was talking? I was having a hard time stopping because of the way they were just nodding. It like I was just like I was just thinking like, "Dude, they want more. They want more." And it was love. It was love that was like spewing out. As I just saw them and I was just like, "Let me speak more to them." Like that's all I was trying to do. And here you are with your like critical spirit and things and it's like and it's just like you just hear you're talking too much. Talk about God? Was I talking too much about God? Was that the one? Was that the person? Was it about like Jesus? Was it? Was it when I mentioned His love that it was like too much? Like it was over the top? You know, like like I'll just like like I'll just I'll just like there's no way. But it's so crazy because if I know that I didn't talk too much. Then I'll be like, yeah, babe, it's possible, but I don't think so. It, it'll be over. I don't care what she thinks because I know the truth. But if I think I talk too much, I feel like this cornered animal that the minute someone confirms it, I have to like fight like crazy because what I'm fighting for is the belief that if I can convince them that I didn't talk too much, then maybe I didn't talk too much and that I can feel okay about myself. It's crazy, right? It's like, it's like but, but what I need to know, like, w- like what I'm so afraid of is that by talking too much, people don't like me. People think I'm selfish. People don't want to come back. People think I'm arrogant. And if they think that, that they're going to reject me and they're not going to love me, and they're not going to respect me. That's what I'm scared to death of. And what I need to know is that even when you talk too much, you're loved. You're forgiven. You don't have to be perfect. You don't, you're not judged on your performance they the, 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 like like my wife will she'll she'll sometimes just say to me when I'm in the midst of one of these arguments, she'll just be like, Why are you being so defensive? like what are you so afraid of? like why can't you just admit you talk too much? and it just hits me. it's like why like that that's I'm scared i i shame is is like it's telling me these things and 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 that's where, like, Romans 8 comes, and it just it just says, like, it's God who justifies, who is there to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died. Because sometimes when I fail, like, like, I feel, like, so horrible that I just, like, like I feel like I, d- I don't deserve anything, like, so then this idea of, like, death, like, I just deserve, like, I don't deserve any love. I don't deserve any acceptance. I don't deserve anybody to care anything about me. And that's why it just helps. It. It's Christ Jesus who died. You're probably right. You, you really did screw up. You don't deserve those things. But, but if you look at the cross, what you realize is all the shame you think you deserve and all of the judgment and all of the rejection and all of the darkness that you deserve is true. But look closely, because it's not you hanging on it. It's somebody else. And he went there in your place. And he went there because he loves you. Shame dies. Like, shame tells you it, it, like, thrives in the dark. Shame lives in the dark. And shame is also like a wild animal. Because shame knows that in the light of God's love, it dies. It cannot survive the light of being known and being loved. That's what shame cannot, that's what destroys shame. That's where shame melts. Because shame is based on the lie that if you were known, you would not be loved. You are not good enough. And so it keeps us hidden in darkness and secrecy and judgment i'm not the only one that's not enough that's why i spend all my time focused on the not enoughness of everyone else around me so that i don't feel so lonely instead in the light of being known and loved the cross comes and it says you're known your sin is known to the very depths of the bones and the soul and the flesh of the Son of God. He's felt it. He's felt your sin and its consequences in a way that exceeds anything you will ever know. He knows it. And he stayed on the cross because he loves you. And so shame requires that we speak that that we bring these things out into the light. Those rooms in us that are the most dark, the most hidden, that we're most afraid of exposing are the places that we are the most need of receiving God's light and His love so that we can be healed. We just won't open the doors. And that's why shame... They say shame is in the details, and shame loves to hide in the details and to stay in darkness. But it's when we confess our sins to one another, it's when we speak these things out loud to God. And then receive his love for them. Bonhoeffer says, like (coughs) that we'll have we'll have like fellowship in every area, like Fellowship as friends, fellowship in the basketball team we like, fellowship in like being in the same church, being in all these niche things. But the last area of fellowship is as sinners. He says the pious assembly is like aghast when a real sinner is exposed in their midst. That's why you can leave a gathering of people and go home and feel lonely. Or you can feel lonely in the midst of a gathering of people. Why? It's because you're alone in your sin. It's because there's rooms in your heart that as many people as around you, nobody's ever been in. And you'll always feel lonely as long as those dark rooms are closed. Because you'll know that it's It's like all the love that you receive, you can't even enjoy it because you know it's a sham, because you know your mind is telling you if they knew me, they wouldn't feel the same way about me. And it begins with God, with letting him know all of you. And it's like God does know all of you and he loves all of you, but when you don't know that God knows all of you and you don't speak all of you to God so that it's it's clear to you that he knows that, I mean, think about it. Like, I'm afraid I talk too much. And instead of just being able to say, God, you know that I talk too much. And you know that talking too much is like the least of my many, many problems. Do you love me? Do you forgive me? And you were led silently like a lamb to the slaughter for all the times I talked too much. All the time I said, I should have kept my mouth shut. You kept your mouth shut for me. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see me as the guy that talked too much. He sees me as the perfect son who was quiet when he should have been quiet. And who, when he spoke, he only spoke what needed to be said. All right, that's just a little bit shame. We could talk about shame for the rest of the day, but uh, that's a little bit about shame. I'm going to pray. We're going to take a five-minute break. And then Sean's going to come and go for maybe 45 minutes, talk about other things. And then we're going to have a Q&A time. We wanted to leave like, you know, an hour or 45 minutes for Q&A. And you can basically just pick an issue, a struggle, a constant situation you're in. Just pick something, a cave you want to go further down. And, I mean, we'll just do our best to just talk with you about it. So let's let's pray. Let's let's. Let's like thank God that He loves us even in our worst. And, uh, and let's my encouragement is just for you, even just the healing that you need is found in the we we say grace is found in the broken places. The places that you want to go the least are the places where you need to go to find the, the the grace you need the most we say is found in the places you want to go the least the grace that you need the most is found in in the opening up of those rooms that you want to open the least and there's freedom in that and there's love in that and i would encourage you to 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 speak to god about those things and to experience his love in those areas and And as people that that want to, like, love and help others, we say this, like, we are always wanting to do kind of like what I'm doing. Like, we want to herd people like cattle to the broken places where grace dwells, right? So it's easy to do what I'm doing and just tell you, like open up those dark rooms, you know what I'm saying? Like, confess your sins. And and we kind of push people, and we're always pushing people, but you just notice a lot of times we push them from behind, right? It's because, like, we know in our heads those are great places to be, but we don't really want to be there, you know? And we, we like, want them to be there because we think it would be good for them, but we're not 100% sold. And the thing is, like, that's just not the way to lead. And what we say is this, like, we lead by going first and so you go into those broken places and you don't resent whether people follow you or not because resentment comes when you think you're experiencing loss and they're experiencing something better right but when you know those broken places as painful as they are the places where you are experiencing god's love If people follow you, you want them to follow you for their good. But if no one follows you, you're still in the best place you could be. And the reason we know this is the way to lead is because this is the way that our Savior led. He led by going to the broken places. And we know that grace is found in the broken places because grace is found in the cross. And there is no place more broken than the cross. And he went first. And then he simply invites people to follow him. And he doesn't invite you to follow him because it's a terrible place. He invites you to follow him because that's where he is and because he knows that anyone who follows him will find that it's worth it. It's better to be with him at the cross than to be without him anywhere else. And uh, that's why he's not ashamed to invite people to follow him. 'Cause if you come, no matter how much it hurts, it's better. The goodness is worth it. And uh so I just encourage all of us, let's be a people that go first. And if others want to follow us, then they can follow us and we we invite them that way instead of hurting them, you know, like cattle to try to get them to go to these broken places. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for going first. You're God. You never had to go to a broken place in your life. And you did. You went to broken places for us. Grow, we thank you for that. Thank you for going first. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you love us at our worst with the very same love that you had for your perfect Son, Jesus. That's mind-blowing. Lord, would you open our eyes to see that, and would you make us a people that receive your love? Please, please help us to receive your love. We need it. Would your kindness lead us to repentance? your no condemnation, your steadfast and unfailing love, would it free us to open up the dark closets that are so desperate for your grace and your healing and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love. Help us, please, please, in Jesus' name, amen.